0: If you're just joining us now, we want to welcome you again to Sun Valley. We believe in growing faith and building community and in the hope of Jesus. If you're joining us in person or if you're joining us live, we want to just give you a warm welcome. And we're so thankful that you could worship with us here during this Easter weekend service. Today we're going to be continuing our series called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And we're continuing our story with the book of Ruth, chapters 3 and four. If, if you've been with us for a while or if you've been following us on our social media, you'll know that we are going through a journey through the Bible since we started back in September, it was, and we started with the book of Genesis, and we're going to be going through this journey for the foreseeable future uh, until we reach the end and, and the book of Revelation. And what we're going through through this series is we're discovering some of the incredible and unexpected ways that that God reveals himself to us, to his creation, to better demonstrate the love and mercy that he has for us. And in our last sermon in our series, because last week we had Eric Raja from A Better World share, share a powerful sermon, three words that can change the world, think, believe and act, But the week before that we, we explored Ruth chapter 1 and, and in our sermon we saw uh, that Naomi and her husband, just a quick recap for those of you who may have missed that sermon, uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they, uh, they flee a, a very severe famine that is going on in the land of, of Judah. So they leave the land of Judah to the land of Moab to escape this famine that they're experiencing. And there in the land of Moab, Naomi's husband unfortunately passes away. She dies, and, and her two sons then, uh, Malon and Kilion, they, they end up marrying Moabite women uh, named Orpah and Ruth. And unfortunately, as, as it's a bad turn of events for Naomi, her sons also die shortly after uh, they marry and so now Naomi is left in the land of Moab in a foreign land with nothing left to her name she has no husband she has no sons and so she decides to return to her home country of Judah to her hometown of Bethlehem and so she journeys on to return home now that to hopefully find something better for herself and so Ruth and Naomi um, go or, or sorry Ruth and Orpah they they accompany Naomi all the way to the borders of, of Moab and, and the borders of or, of Judah and they both have this very tearful goodbye that we read in, in, in Ruth chapter one, where they both express this, this this sorrow that they're gonna be splitting because both Ruth and Orpah really love Naomi. They love the family that they've been folded into. They love the God they've come to know. Um, and so they have this tearful goodbye and, and Naomi sends them off and she says, please uh, go home to your countries because I have nothing for you. I have no sons left. I have no way of providing for you. Uh, if you remember back in, in, in those times, Um, women who were widowed or who had no husbands or who had no fathers really had not much to look forward to. Unfortunately, they were left outcasts in society. And so Naomi didn't want Ruth and Orpah to be in a situation like herself. And so she says, please go home. And they have this tearful goodbye and, and Orpah leaves, but Ruth doesn't. Ruth clings on to Naomi and she says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you are buried there, I will be buried. Your God will be my God. So Ruth leaves behind her whole family. She leaves behind her culture, her comforts, her securities, and she abandons all of the old gods that she had been raised to believe in, and she follows Naomi to Judah, and she also begins to follow and serve the God of the Israelites. Because not only is she enamored with with Naomi. Not only is she in love with this person as this familial relationship, but she also begins to grow fond of this God, Yahweh, that she's come to know, and begins to serve him. And they arrive just in time for the beginning of the harvest of barley. Now. Uh, in the Bible, uh, if, you, if you follow along with our reading plan, you'll know that for last week we had in our expanded reading, we had some, some chapters in Leviticus and ch- chapters in Exodus uh, because God had given Moses very specific instructions on caring for the poor, for the widowed, for the foreigners, and for the orphaned. And so when, whenever the people of Israel, whenever they collected their harvest, uh, whether it was wheat or barley or, or flax or whatever it is that they were picking up, they would bind their stocks together. Right? They would bind them together, and then someone would come by with, with, a, with a plowshare or with a, uh, what, are, what are those called? Little sickles or whatever, and, they, and they'd cut the stalks as they, as they were bound together, and they'd take them off, right? Um, but, but God had given Moses specific instructions for his people. And he says, whenever you are binding the stalks together, there are going to be inevitably stalks or pieces that do not make it into the fold. There are going to be pieces that maybe fall out. There are going to be pieces that are going to be left behind. And the same was for when they harvested any fruits, when they harvested grapes. Whenever they came by and co- collected their clusters, there were always clusters of, or individual grapes that would fall to the ground. And God said, do not pick that up. Do not collect the loose stuff. Do not collect the leftovers because there are people in your community that are in great need that have no no way of supporting themselves. And so these people were allowed, according to the law of Moses, to come in behind and collect the leftovers. It was a way of ensuring that everyone, no matter what their circumstance or situation was, that they had a means of providing for themselves. So Ruth and Naomi, being both widows, and Ruth especially being a widowed foreigner, now goes out to glean. That's what, that's what they called gleaning, is to collect the leftovers. And she goes out to, to glean for herself and for Naomi, and she happens to arrive in the fields of a man named Boaz. Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 5. We're just going to read a couple of verses in here. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with us, you can join us as it's on the screen for you uh, to read along with us. As We're going to be reading from the New International Version. Ruth Chapter two, verse five says this, Boaz asked the overseers of his harvest, uh, the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz, approaching Ruth, says to her, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked why have i found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner and boaz replied i've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and how you left your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before and he says this in verse 12 may the lord repay you for what you have done May you be blessed or richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz blesses Ruth, and he makes sure that she is protected as she gleams through the fields. And a few verses later, if we read down, we won't read it now on the screen, but a few verses later, if you continue reading the story, you'll notice that Boaz actually instructs his harvesters to leave stuff behind. He says, don't be so careful, leave something for Ruth, make sure that she gets more than she would normally have gotten if she was just gleaning on her own. And so she returns home to Naomi with these large bundles of barley, more than any of the other gleaners, and Naomi has this question, how do you have so much? How is it that you've collected so much? Because normally we don't get that much of the leftovers and then Ruth explains to her, well, I've, I've come uh, to, to this, this wonderful man who owns this, this, these fields and his name is Boaz and Naomi rejoices. Naomi rejoices because she knows that Boaz is their, in Hebrew it's called a goel, is their goel and it's a Hebrew word that means next of kin, next of kin, specifically the next of kin to be a redeemer. And the Bible in your English versions might call this person a guardian redeemer. It might translate Goel as guardian redeemer. The responsibility of a Goel or a guardian redeemer was to make sure that a family line or inheritance was not lost. When a plot of land or inheritance was left without a next of kin, when it was left without a son to inherit it, it became the duty of the Goel or the next of kin or the guardian redeemer to come in and purchase the plot of land, and produce an heir for that family line to continue. And so usually, the guardian redeemer would then marry the widow of the family, if there was a widow to marry, and produce an offspring with her to inherit what would otherwise have been lost. And so Naomi knows that that Boaz is their Goel, and so she she instructs Ruth on how to proceed to make sure that they abide by the covenant laws of God that God had given Moses for these specific circumstances. And we jump ahead to Ruth chapter three in verse one. It'll be be available up there on the screen as well. It says this, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drink it. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled Boaz, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'I am your servant, Ruth,' she said." Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Verse 10 says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So the end of the harvest is approaching and Naomi knows that they're not going to have much prospects for providing for themselves so she wants to find uh, Ruth a husband to protect their estate and also to care for Ruth and so Boaz as we know would be would be busy at this time because the harvest is ending he'd be busy separating the barley from the chaff what they would do is they'd have these giant uh, kind of pans and they'd have all the barley with, with the, the, the kernels and, and the chaff and the weed and the whole thing, and they'd end up like kind of shaking it out into the wind so that the wind would carry out all the stuff that isn't the kernels and the kernels would fall to the ground, and so they would do this in the evening, kind of in the later uh, day when it was cool, when there was the wind blowing, and so Boaz would be busy doing that. And it was actually customary at the time for the owner of the field and for the owner of the products to sleep on the threshing floor, to sleep beside the grain because they knew that thieves might come to try to steal what they had worked so hard to produce. So this guy, Boaz, then stays alert. He comes out, he sleeps in the threshing floor, he sleeps in the pile of grain to be alert so that no one can come in and steal what he has worked so hard to produce. And then Ruth approaches him. He's sleeping there on the threshing floor. Ruth comes over, uncovers his his feet and lays down. And there are a couple of things I wanna mention here um, because this whole process might seem a little weird right it seems strange what Ruth is doing you might have some questions about Ruth's noble character and and in our modern world the way that we read it now unfortunately sometimes we might read something into the story that really isn't there and there are some people now who who read this encounter here this story as Ruth and Boaz having a sexual encounter but that's not what actually happens The whole ordeal seems rather peculiar to our culture now because we're not accustomed to those things, but there are a few reasons why a sexualized reading of the story isn't actually biblically accurate. First, the first reading, it doesn't make sense that this would be a sexual encounter because neither of them were married. And the whole foundation for the book of Ruth is that both Ruth and Boaz are incredibly noble characters. Both of them follow God's law according to the law and above and beyond, right? Because remember the whole thing about the gleaning, the whole thing about collecting and leaving leftovers for the people. Boaz did that perfectly. He allowed foreigners, he allowed orphans, he allowed widows, and he even provided more than what he was required to provide. He went above and beyond following God's law. Ruth does the same thing. She comes from a land that is completely different, a land that follows other rules, that follows follows other gods, and yet she comes and follows the law of God perfectly and abides by the laws of Moses. And so it would not make sense to read that into the story because the story is based on the fact that both of them have incredibly noble characters, that both of them honor God with who they are and and how they act. Second, some scholars have noted, uh, because that whole thing where she uncovers his feet is kind of weird, they've noted that, that in the past and in some Middle Eastern cultures, the wives would actually crawl into bed from the bottom. They wouldn't kind of climb into bed from the side. They would crawl into bed from the bottom as a way of humble submission to their husbands. That's just the way that they did that. That's weird now. but It's just the way that they did that. Um, And so Ruth, you'll notice, this is interesting. You'll notice this. That Ruth has the right to demand Boaz to marry her. According to the law. Because they know that Boaz is a goel. He's a next of kin. He is a guardian redeemer. According to the law of Moses, the Goel had to redeem the family member. It was mandatory. There was no option. It was mandatory. And so Ruth has the right to go to Boaz and say, you have to marry me because you are my guardian redeemer. But instead, instead, Ruth comes and lays at his feet, representing herself as a servant and humbles herself before Boaz and and does not demand what is rightfully hers, but rather submits herself to Boaz. It was this means of humble submission, this way of following God in their culture. And third, when she says this, spread the garment of your cloak over me, it was actually a traditional act of redemption for the person. Whenever a guardian redeemer would redeem a widow, one of the symbols that they had been redeemed was placing his cloak over the widow. And so basically, when Ruth says, spread your garment over me, she is actually proposing that he propose. Will you propose to me? Um, And so what Ruth does is she follows the customs of Israel, and she humbles herself before Boaz, and she asks him, will you marry me as a guardian redeemer in the most appropriate, even though it seems weird to us, it's actually in that time, the most appropriate and God-fearing way available to her. And so then we find the character of Boaz. Is that he is such an honorable guy that he says, "Do not leave because if you leave, I know that there are thieves out there during this time of the night, during this season. Do not leave here because you might get attacked or assaulted on the way. So stay the night, stay here protected. And then when you leave in the morning, then I will. Then he gives her some some extra barley and some extra stuff to take to take back to Naomi. And and so she leaves and then." And she has this this wonderful encounter with Boaz, where they have now come to terms. And this is the beautiful thing, is that Boaz is so honorable that he doesn't say, I will redeem you. He says, actually, there is still one closer yet. Because Boaz wants to marry her. He loves Ruth. And we find that throughout the story, is that he could have forced himself on Ruth as well, but he doesn't. He kind of holds off and he waits and he respects her boundaries and respects her and he says as much as i would love to marry you there is still one closer yet so it is my duty as an honorable man to allow that person first dibs technically at redemption and he says but if that person refuses as surely as the lord lives i will do it i will not rest until this matter is done we're going to put that, all of that aside all the cultural context aside, because we're gonna focus on something very interesting that happens here, something interesting that the author of Ruth um, does and and the way that the author of Ruth writes the story because the author of Ruth creates a parallel and writes the story in such a way that we are meant to see a parallel between Boaz, between what Boaz does and what God does for us. If you'll notice in in, in chapter two, uh, uh, verse 12, When Boaz has this conversation with Ruth, he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 9, Ruth says this, Spread the garment or the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And what's interesting that you might not notice in the English is that the author uses the word, uh, the word translated as corner of your garment in 3.9 is the same word used in 2.12 as wings. It's the exact same word. The word used as covering wings is the same word used as covering garments. And so Boaz says to her, may you be blessed as you take refuge under the wings of the Lord. And Ruth asks, may you cover me under your wings. You see, God had covered Ruth under his wings by providing Boaz to cover her under his garment. So you see the parallel that the author is trying to draw us to. This action of God, of refuge under God, and this action of Boaz as a covering of redemption. And so Boaz is meant to be, in the story, a Christ figure, a figure of the Messiah, a parallel to help us see the attributes of what the Messiah would actually look like and would do for us. And so Ruth found her refuge in God through Boaz. This is our first lesson for today. First of two. Don't worry, it won't take so long. First of two. Our first lesson is this. In him, we find refuge. In him, we find refuge. You see, God is, is concerned over every little detail of our lives. And despite the chaos that we might find in, uh, ourselves in, despite the chaos that Ruth found herself, having lost her father-in-law, having lost her husband, having her sister lost her husband as well, now being stuck in a situation where she was forced to beg and to glean and to just pick up the leftovers, despite the fact that she found herself in all of this, she still found refuge in God. You see, protection and blessing are ours when we find cover under the wings of of the Almighty and what's interesting in this story is that both Ruth and Boaz have the right to claim each other Ruth was clear Boaz was clearly drawn to Ruth but he never forced himself on her rather he had the right uh, to 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 a Ruth sorry had the right to demand redemption but she never forced him herself on him and, and we are by right God's creation God has created us God has made us but God doesn't demand that we choose him. God doesn't demand that we follow him. God doesn't demand that we worship him. He has formed us, he has created us, he has died for us, but all of that does not force God or does not put God into the position to demand us. He could, very well, he could. He has the right to, but he doesn't because he would rather us choose him. He'd rather us choose, God does not demand us, but rather gives us the freedom to choose. We are free to worship whatever we choose to worship. We are free to give our allegiance whatever we choose to give our allegiance to. And Boaz recognized that Ruth had other options. There were younger men, there were wealthier men, there were men far better looking than Boaz because it appears that Boaz might have been a little older, almost twice as old as Ruth even. And he recognized that she could have gone after all these other things, but instead Ruth responds to the tremendous generosity of Boaz and instead of coming with demands, she comes in humility to find refuge with Boaz. And you find that Boaz's generosity is not a trick, it's not a ploy, it's not a means of convincing Ruth to fall in love with him. Boaz does that because he loves, because he gives graciously without condition. Do you see the parallel between Boaz and Christ? And that's the thing is that God doesn't demand of us, and God gives without expectation, and God gave without expectation, and God continues to give without demanding once that we return to him, or that we follow him, or that we worship him. Ruth responds to Boaz out of the goodness of Boaz, and we then in turn respond to God out of the goodness of God. In him we find refuge. And like I said, Boaz would gladly redeem Ruth but there's still one yet closer and so he goes in accordance with the law and he goes to the other relative and and he promises Ruth that this thing would not be settled until until he figured out a solution so we jump to Ruth chapter 4 in verse 2 it says this Boaz then immediately the next day he goes out to find the elders he goes out to find the leaders he goes out to find this guardian redeemer that is closer so Boaz in verse 2 took 10 of the elders of the town and said sit here and they did so then he said to the guardian redeemer Naomi who has And the guardian redeemer, the unnamed redeemer, says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said this. Listen to what he says. He says, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot redeem it it. And now that the other next of kin has refused the responsibility to redeem Ruth and Naomi's inheritance, Boaz then steps in and says, I will redeem them both. And just like Ruth found refuge in God through Boaz, so too does she find redemption in God through Boaz. This is our final lesson for today. In him we find redemption and him will find redemption. You see, Boaz was a guardian redeemer who redeemed both Ruth and Naomi. He rescued what might otherwise been lost. And it's beautiful that in the story of Ruth and Boaz, it is meant to be a picture of what God or what Jesus does for his people because of the noble self-sacrificing example of Boaz. We find a picture of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. You see, Jesus is the redeemer who risks it all out of love for us. Boaz was not afraid that Ruth was a Moabitess. see, the law of Moses prohibited the people from intermarrying. It prohibited the Israelites from marrying any of the people of, of the land of Canaan. But in Ruth's dedication to what was right, Boaz saw deeper than the surface, deeper than the cultural differences. He saw someone worthy of redemption. He saw someone worthy of love. And you see, Jesus is not afraid of our mess. Jesus is not afraid of our cultural difference. Jesus is not afraid of our sinfulness. He's not afraid of our mistakes. Jesus sees beyond our brokenness. He sees beyond our sin, and he sees the children, the creation that he died for. I invite the band to come on up as as we close and as we prepare for communion. You see, God didn't wait for us to get things right first. Jesus died for us while we were still in the middle of our sin, while we were still in the middle of our mess. And listen to this, because Boaz goes to give the opportunity to the guardian redeemer, and he says, you are closer, you have the right to redeem uh, redeem Ruth and to redeem Naomi. And what does the next of kin say? What does he say, the, the unnamed redeemer? He says, no. He says, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. He says, I cannot redeem them because the price is too high. That's what he says. He was not willing to pay the price to redeem Ruth. He said it would cost him far too much. And yet Boaz was not afraid of what it might cost him. He was willing to redeem this foreign woman regardless of what it meant for his social standing regardless of what it meant for his family, regardless of what it meant for his estate. And you'll find that only Jesus was able and willing to pay the price to redeem us. Because no matter how hard we try and might continue to try, there is no price that we could ever pay that could ever fully pardon us of our sinfulness and yet Jesus being in the very essence God was willing to risk it all by coming down as one of us sinful and broken human beings to lay down his life that we might find redemption in his death and resurrection you see Jesus risks separation from God by taking on our sins and sinfulness and nailing it to the cross the eternal and immortal God died and conquered the grave so that we could find hope in him. In him we find redemption. And this is what we celebrate every Easter. This is what we celebrate. We celebrate a crucified savior and we celebrate a risen king. We celebrate that we were once considered lost and that God did not rest until he found us. We celebrate that we were dirty and broken and God clothed us and covered us in his righteousness. We celebrate that death and sin no longer have power in our lives because our lives belong to the resurrected Jesus and in him we have our victory. And we want you to celebrate the redemption that we find in Jesus today by taking part in communion with us. You see, the the sacrament of communion is when we eat and we drink the bread and the wine as a way of professing our acceptance of the refuge and redemption that we find in Jesus. And if you're a guest with us and haven't celebrated communion with us, we do wanna let you know uh, what this is going to look like. When, 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 when I kind of call you down, when we invite everyone to partake, um, you're gonna stand up and then you're going to go out to the sides and you're going to come through the middle. You're going to take a cup, you're going to take a piece of the bread, and you're going to go back to your seats and remain standing. Once everybody has grabbed a cup and a piece of the bread, then we're going to have a short prayer as we partake in the bread in the cup. And, and during the whole time, as you walk and as you grab and as you go to sit, I want you to, to just take some time to meditate. Take some time to think and to pray, to meditate on the lyrics that are being sung and to think about what God has done for you personally, to think about the sacrifice that God has made, to think about the risk that Jesus took in order to redeem us. And in case this is all new to you, we wanna still invite you to take part, uh, partake in communion today as a way of declaring to God that you want to receive the redemption Jesus, that you want to live in right relationship with him and with others, that you are tired of the broken patterns of sin in your life, and that you want to find refuge and redemption in Jesus. If this isn't your first time taking communion, then we still want to invite you to partake in communion as a renewal of your commitment to God, a declaration that you are thankful for what Jesus has already done in your life and that what he will continue to do your life and that you want to live in the new life that Jesus brings. If you are feeling lost, if you are feeling broken, if you are feeling unworthy, this communion is for you because God sees your mess and He chooses you. God knows and God knew what the price of salvation was and He paid it in full see, Jesus is our refuge. He is our redemption. He is our salvation. And we want to invite you to stand as we sing this song and as you come on down to partake in communion with us.